Bradley, you're always good, but that fits so perfectly with today, for the Bible tells me so. On this third uh, grade Bible Sunday, um, we just promised and we prayed that we would be a community that would help uh, our third graders come to learn God's bigger story in Scripture. So as a part of doing that, um, will you indulge me just this Sunday? Will you find the Bible that is in the pew rack in front of you? I believe it should be the blue book, and if you're sitting on the front pew, it should be underneath you. Open it to Genesis chapter 18. It'll be uh, just right there in the beginning. And this is what I'm going to invite us all to do. And then parents of our third graders, um, I want to invite you uh, or grandparents or whomever friends of our third graders, open their Bible with them. We're going to open it to Genesis 18. And third graders, uh, your interpretation, so your words are going to be a little different than everybody else's words. But congregation, this is our moment to live out in choir. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Uh, Next time I'll plan for that. I'm so sorry. Uh, But congregation, if you have your Bible, this is what I want to invite you and all of us to do together. Let's read the first four verses together. Here's the good news. You don't have to read past those uh, verse four. I'll bring us home. But let's read it together and join God's bigger story as a congregation. Ready? The Lord... Well done. Don't forget what you read. We're coming back to it. Then he said, let me bring a little bread that you may refresh yourselves. And after that, you may pass on since you have come to your servant. So they said, do as you have said. And Abraham hastened into the tent to Sarah and said, make ready quickly three measures of choice flour, knead it and make cakes. Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to the servant who hastened to prepare it. Then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set it before them, and he stood by them under the tree while they ate. They said to him, where's your wife Sarah? And he said, they are in the tent. Then one said, I will surely return to you in due season, and your wife Sarah shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent entrance behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in age, and it had ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. That's a very interesting way to say that. (laughs) Sarah too laughed. Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I've grown old and my husband is old, that I shall have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I'm old? Is anything too wonderful for the Lord? 
At the same time, I will return to you in due season, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. And he said, yeah, you did. Yeah, you did laugh. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? Awaken us, O God. Awaken us to your spirit that hovers here. Your spirit that hovers here in this very sanctuary, just as she hovered over the waters of creation, reach across the ages and breathe new life into these ancient words, that they would be your word to us here, and your word to us right now. Breathe new life, O God, into the words of my mouth and into the meditations of all of our hearts, that all would be acceptable and pleasing to you, O God, for you are our rock, and you are our redeemer. We pray in Christ's holy name. Amen. This past Monday, I joined our PW morning circle, our Presbyterian women's morning circle over in Jubilee Hall, as they kicked off their new year, where they will study sacred encounters. The lesson began as somewhat of an extenuation on last week's sermon when a a person in the room shouted out and said, I can't believe you did all those wild things that you said you did as a child in your sermon last week. I said, what do you mean? They said, I can't believe you made paper airplanes and were playing tic-tac-toe and, you know, pretended to have a water gun and shoot out all the candles. I can't believe you did all that paused. I looked at the whole room, and I said, really? (laughs) Yes, you can. And they all laughed. And then I said, you sound like my nana. And they said, what do you mean? I said, after the 11 o'clock service on Sunday, I went back to my office. I took off my robe. I packed up my stuff. I got out my cell phone, and I had a text message from my nana. And she said, that was the greatest sermon I've ever heard. (laughs) Which you should know is what she says after every sermon I preach. (laughs) It can be a dirge. And she will think it's better than anything that has ever been spoken. The second part is what surprised me. She said, I laughed so hard at all those stories you told about yourself as a kid. I don't remember you ever doing any of that. (laughs) Of course she didn't. She's my nana, you know? Of course she didn't. She's my nana. She doesn't remember me doing any of those things because she's my nana. She was too busy loving me to ever think about all the wild things I was doing. She was too busy uh, seeing the light in me than she was ever thinking I could be capable of doing something wrong. Which, is that not how God sees you? I mean, is that not how God sees all of us? I mean, isn't God too busy loving you? Isn't God too busy... uh, looking upon you and seeing the light that you are? 
to hold some past memories of what you did? At least that's what I believe. I've, I think we uh, often don't know what to do with a love and a grace and a truth that big. Because if I'm really honest with you, I was surprised by my Nana's text because um, a lot of days in my life, I don't see what she sees. I mean, if I'm really honest, um, I see the opposite. I mean, there are days in my life that all I can see are the memories of the past wrongs that I've done. That's frankly all I can see when I look in the mirror. There are days where I think that those memories and the things that I've done um, are the very things that define who I am. And therefore, that defines what I see in myself and also what I come to see in others. Which, as Father Boyle says, uh, the only sin... He says there's only one, by the way. He says the only sin is to fail to see as God does. Which begs the question, does it not? How does God see? And it begs the second question. What do you think you're seeing? These are the two questions, uh, actually, that the ancient rabbis were quite fixated on when they turned to our text in Genesis uh, this day, because the Hebrew language provides uh, for quite an interesting theological claim based on how we interpret a particular word in our passage today. That word is the word Adonai. Can you say it with me? Adonai. Adonai is the word used when Abraham greets the strangers. Abraham says, runs out to greet them, and he says, Adonai. Now, here's where it gets interesting. Adonai can be interpreted as either Lord, you know, like God, or Sirs. Adonai can be interpreted as Lord, like God, or Sirs, or like common, you know, Hello, person. There's a big difference between Lord and Sir, is there not? Or at least we think there is. Rabbi Jonathan Sachs actually says the interpretation of how we interpret Adonai is the hinge on which this entire text turns. If we read Adonai as Lords, Abraham would be addressing God. That means Abraham has run out to the strangers and sees them as God. If we read Adonai as sirs, Abraham is addressing those passers-by as strangers, men who are foreign. Sachs points out if we interpret them as sirs, it's extraordinary because it suggests that Abraham is actually interrupting God who is present with him and choosing to provide hospitality to the stranger over giving attention to God who is in his presence. 
Therefore, all of this scholarship invites us to consider and to determine ourselves. Are we seeing a sir? Or are we seeing the Lord? The Celts, they just uh, assumed that every person they met was the Lord. When given the option, they just said, we're going to assume that this person is the Lord. More accurately, the Celts just assumed that every person was the Christ. The Celts approached every person they encountered and assumed that every person could be the Christ. Thus, every interaction that they had with every person every day was an opportunity to love and to serve the Christ. The Celts were like the ancient rabbis and the mystics. They believed that all of creation bore the divine DNA of God, a God who spoke forth creation into being. Therefore, the Celts believed that there was no place that you could go where God was not. So the Celts assumed that there's no place that you could go where God is not. Every stranger was assumed to be the Lord. Rabbi Sachs actually takes it a step further and he says, though there's um, one part of creation, only one part of creation, that God makes in God's image. And he says that's human beings. So Rabbi Sachs argues it is only in the face of others that we come to know the face of God. Therefore, Abraham is left to determine, is he seeing the Lord or is he seeing a stranger? Or is he seeing a stranger who will then reveal themselves to be an angel, part of the divine? <laughs> Therefore, in uh, the Jewish tradition, the Celts, they believe providing hospitality. It was not only integral to daily li living, but it was uh, an expression of their faith, of what they believed. Hospitality, they believed. It's a natural byproduct of this anticipatory anticipation of the divine. Abraham and Sarah provide hospitality. And in so doing, they honor the divine in the stranger and discover that the stranger was in fact angels among them, Lord and Sir. Sir and Lord. To know uh, this deep truth, uh, one would argue you would have to experience it. Our passage this morning uh, is the text that inspired the iconographer Andrei Rublev in his 15th century icon, which is considered one of the greatest icons ever produced. The piece depicts the three angels seated at a table. The angels are positioned in such a way that they create a circle. What differs about this painting is that there is a space left open at the table 
right in front of the viewer. It has been argued that the artist left this gap open at the table so that the viewer of this icon would see themselves as being the missing person at the table. These three persons are the angels from our text. Many years ago, they were moving this icon from a a church into a museum. When they were transporting it, they noticed that there was a little rectangle that was also painted right there on the edge of the table, and they noticed there was something on top of that rectangle. And so they said, what is that? They scraped that rectangle, and they sent it away to a lab, and the results came back, and the results came back to reveal it was a glue-like substance on the table, which has led scholars to believe that on the table held a mirror so that every person who stepped to the front of that icon, saw themselves at the table, and their reflection of the table in their own face. You should know this icon goes by two names. The first, the three angels. The second, the trinity. So the question then becomes, when you step in front, you see in your own face the divine, and you see the divine in the face of others, the icon is inviting you to see how God sees. The icon is inviting you to see and consider how you see every person. Many years ago, we went to visit my family in South Carolina. And uh, this was before we had Elliot. It was me and Sarah and Olivia. Olivia was little then. She could walk and talk, but, you know, we always had to have a hand on her. And we went to lunch, and... uh, We had reached that point in lunch where if we didn't get out of there, there was going to be some major cleanup needed, you know. And so Sarah said, you know, I'm going to take Olivia out into the alley. We'll wait on you. And so uh, I stayed behind with my Nana, and I uh, signed the check. We packed up all the food that we didn't eat, and I had it in containers, and we walked out into the alley, and I'll never forget it. There was a guy playing saxophone. I didn't hear him when we walked in, but he was there when we left, and he was playing Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star. And it was the most beautiful rendition of Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star I had ever heard because um, Sarah and Olivia were dancing to that saxophone. I was absolutely uh, caught up in the whole scene of it all. And as uh, the song began winding down, I looked down the street and I saw there was a group of guys, they appeared to be day laborers, Um, they were breaking for their lunch. And I thought to myself, if one of those guys uh, needs anything, I, I got some food I can give them and, you know, it's really hot out here, I bet they're really tired. I made that note and 
we gathered everybody up and we started walking down the street and before I knew it, we came up on these uh, day laborers and this guy sitting on the uh, curb looks up to me and he goes, hey, how are you? I said, I'm great, how are you? He goes, I'm tired. I said, I know it's hot out here. And then he said, hey, are you hungry? And I said, what do you mean? He said, I got this extra sausage sandwich that I'm not gonna eat and I just wondered if you wanted it. Who did I see? Who had I thought I saw? Which begs the question, does it not? Who did he see? And who did he think he was looking at? Sir and Lord, Lord and Sir, for when you look in the mirror, you are looking into the very face of God. May we live as though it is true. Amen.